Welcome to another episode of RMLD's Current Insights. It's an opportunity for us to sit down with experts, um, those in RMLD and those outside of RMLD, just to share what they do um, and how they allow us as RMLD to deliver reliable, low-cost, and non-carbon energies to our customer. Um, so today, we have uh, one of our systems engineer, a gentleman named Von Bryan. He, uh, he plays a crucial role in ensuring that both the reliability and the uh, efficiency and effectiveness of our uh, electrical service to our community. So I'll, uh, I'll let Vaughn introduce himself just a little bit. You know, Vaughn, how you, how you got to be with RMLD, and more importantly, what do you do at RMLD? So I'm Vaughn Bryan. I've been with RMLD for about 20 years. I um, started out in the station, uh, worked my way into engineering. Um, currently, I cover anywhere from transformer purchases, power factor corrections, um, work with um, residential commercial customers, um, anywhere from a small 200 amp service all the way up to a 4,000 amp service. 4,000 amps, that's yeah. big. So the, uh, uh, the larger, you know, the 4,000, 2,000, 4,000 amp services, um, well, before we jump into that, um, our network is, is somewhat complex, right? Most people just see, what they see is utility poles with some uh, wires and maybe occasionally they see a cylindrical can hanging from them, but uh, there's a lot more to our network. So you know, kind of, what are some of the big pieces? I, you know, I started kind of down that path, but what are some of the big pieces and how do they, and, and then what do we do with those big pieces to make sure that our network is reliable? So... You know, one of the things that we do, I mean, as you you walk across the towns, whether any one of the four towns, you're going to see poles, yep. uh, distribution lines. Um, that mostly comes from uh, larger substations mm-hmm. and gets uh, transmitted down to a uh, lower class, uh, middle class voltage, 15 kV class. And by the time it gets to your house, it goes through a transformer, which is a key part of our, you know, our system. And um, you see it back at your house, probably at a 120, 240 volt. We typically have to keep that infrastructure up and running as best as we can. We do um, a tremendous amount of maintenance. Yep. So we do um, pole testing, uh, tree trimming, uh, looking at the load on the transformers. We do have like a age transformer replacement program. Um, we have uh, upgrades our secondary wires, services and mains, and we have a typical. Um, service maintenance programs that we kind of go through the entire system and start to pick away things that are from older to newer. So that's, you know, what you talked about, Vaughn, are the things we do right now to our existing network, right, to maintain the current load. And, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about on earlier episodes and we are communicating through our newsletters, et cetera, that Julie's been deeply involved with and the webinars, et cetera, is um, electrification is driving, you know, higher load, electrification from additional EVs, additional businesses, additional additional industrial load, air source heat pump transition. So those things are, are kind of coming down the road. So, you know, kind of kind of talk about, you know, things that we're starting to think about in terms of what the, you know, the, the, I'll call it the new network, but the larger network is going to be, you know, you know, what, what are we, how are we starting to think about that um, more than maintenance? So um, some of the things that we've seen coming down is like, um, a lot of larger service, um, anywhere from uh, residentials. Um, a lot of customers are beginning to put um, like EVs in yeah. and um, 
stuff like that. And those are driving uh, higher loads, are one of the things that are driving the higher loads. Um, so we do a lot of, um, we try to like forecast or kind of see what the future is going to bring. Um, we typically, if we're doing like um, new construction, we load them only to like a certain percentage, probably 70 percentage, uh, 75%, um, kind of um, leaving some room for any kind of additional growth. Um, we're doing like residential services right now where um, back five years ago, typical service would be each res new residential would be like a 200 amp service. Yep. Now they're coming in at 400 amps. Yeah. So we've got to plan for that a little bit um, with our designs when we go forward. Um, just so that we take into consideration anything new that's going to come online. And what, you know, as you think about that, Vaughn, what's the time horizon? Like, you know, somebody asks for a, a two to 400 gram service, you know, you'll do the analysis and, and uh, make estimates in terms of how to supply it. But you, know, you guys, your time horizon is more than just tomorrow, right? So how, you know, when you think about transformers and poles and wires, how far out do you guys look? So right now, you know, Everything we typically do, like, um, it's kind of like in a five-year cycle. Yeah. Um, so we have to kind of um, work with, like, the other teams. Like, we have our IRD department that yeah. kind of focus on what the potential load's going to be. And they'll go out 10, 20. You know, they go out to 2050 with their forecast. That's, that's correct. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, our system right now is kind of designed um, to take a a robust amount of um, um, load right now yeah. um, because um, our typical construction right now on a, a, a 50 kVA transformers, we usually have uh, four or five houses. And now we're seeing that we have to put up like a 75 kVA transformer or we have to take that 50 kVA and sort of split it up if we get the additional load. So we're, we're, the, the work that you guys do from an engineering perspective, you're already designing in anticipating load growth, right? You take input from the meter data, you take input from IRD forecast. I mean, you look at a lot of data to say, where are we going? And I know from the, the hockey expression, right, where's the puck going to be, right? You know, so that's kind of how you guys are thinking about what's coming down the road, not just today, but future. Right, plus we also have, you know, we looked at, we have a transformer like load management system. Yeah, okay. Kinda, you know, collects meter data and it shows you how the load's growing over a certain period of time. Um, we also use it as a maintenance program. Yeah. So we can actually see when a transformer is potentially about to fail and we can replace that transformer or um, split it up into two different transformers just to minimize the max load on each transformer. So your transformer uh, load management platform is, is uh, preventive maintenance as well as, you know, so you're trying to anticipate before something happens. I mean, obviously if there's an outage, right, you know, our crew is very responsive. Um, you know, you, from an engineering perspective, have worked very closely with the line crews that are in the field as well. You guys are in the field on a regular basis. But it sounds like you use a lot of data analytics and um, all driven from meter data um, to basically, you know, what's yeah. coming down the road and let's make sure we load the transformers properly. Yeah, so, that's correct. Uh, meter data is, is important, you know. Um, that's what um, we kind of take not – just during like a response during like an outage. If you get an outage with a yeah. line department, um, something might have been 
you know, overloaded at the time. But the metadata will show that information if that's actually the case or it's just um, something that, you know, probably faulted because of a faulted equipment or something like that. So you said that you have, so that your software will tell you when a transformer is about to fail. Like, I guess, what are the warning signs? Like, does it flicker? Does it, is it not? It's it's all it's all about loading. So if you know if your transformer is loaded at two hundred percent over a certain period of time, you're actually decreasing the life of the equipment. You know, if you load it at seventy five percent for a longer period of time, you kind of can extend the life of the equipment. So kind of like battery charging with eighty going to eighty percent, right? Same kind of. Just for the life of it, yeah. Um, so basically, you know, we we look at the data and. We know that, you know, we'll budget for a certain amount of transformers to be replaced per year. Mm -hmm. And we'll look at the data. We do have some older transformers. But, you know, if the transformer is older but it's only loaded at 20%, a newer one loaded at 200% might take more consideration to be replaced right now than the older one. So loading is a critical factor, going back to Julie's point. That's correct. And that's why you look at the data. Yep. So we try and be as, as proactive as we can. But there are situations where, hey, it's 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 failed outside of it. And it sounds like Vaughn, just you know, talk a little bit, just really briefly, when uh, when there's an outage, you know, you guys don't just say go replace the transformer. You got to do some analysis to figure out why it happened. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. So normally, you know, you have your typical outage. Um, something happens. Something faulted. Not necessarily mean that the transformer is overloaded. Could be a squirrel, could, be, could a be a tree, a squirrel, could be a lightning could be a tree, strike. could be a connector, could be something yeah. else. Okay. Yeah. So you you would never really, we typically will never try to re-energize something faulted without finding out what it is. What, what, what's so that? we usually identify the issue first. Great. You know, whether it's an overloaded transformer, whether it's a squirrel, whether it's a tree, you try to find something that will point you to where, why, this and thing. fix that problem first, exactly, and then make the appropriate upgrades or repairs exactly. or whatever, and then re-energize. Exactly, and you always work quickly because people will say, "Oh, my power was off, but not for too long." So you guys are always just ready and go ready to deploy and figure it out. Yeah, we we you know we have a twenty four hour control center. Good. Um, yeah, so go people, talk about that. Yeah, people will call in. We have a um, standby line crew yep. and uh, uh, engineering that will back them up. So, so you guys, the group of you guys are always on call too, right? Or yeah, yeah we're always available to take yeah. calls, you know, if uh, the line department needs help. Yeah. So, and our response time as engineers to our issue is usually pretty quicker because, you know, we go right to the problem, yep. try to um, identify, and then the line crews will come out and try to isolate and restore. So I've been in the control room. It's fascinating how quickly <laughs> you guys work. Hey, Vaughn, kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um, you know, we talk about uh, the transition to more non-carbon, more renewable energy sources. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're integrating, you know, solar, for example, and storage, for example, and looking at other technologies for in-territory generation. But um, just, you know, maybe talk about how, you know, from an engineering perspective, you're thinking about adding these additional assets within our territory, whether it's storage systems, you know, we've got a couple of storage projects coming up, and we've got we're trying to work on a couple of, of storage projects coming up. But from your perspective, from an engineering perspective, what kind of things do you guys think about? Well, one of the key things is how it will affect the uh, existing infrastructure. Right. Um, 
you know, you put a storage device on, it's, it's not a source. Right. You put a solar device on, it's still not a source. All those sources got to tie into the existing source from our substations all the way in, and we have to make sure that that connection doesn't affect the existing infrastructure. Now, you know, having your battery and your solar, we are going to potentially need those. But from an engineering yeah. standpoint, it's more of the, the in interconnectivity and, you know, if you have a problem because you have one source, you have a fault, it's... That's easy, weird. Easy to identify. Right, right? but that's, that's your source, so you're a fault current. Yeah. Now you have multiple sources. Now you have fault current coming from one or two, three different directions. and it's become much more complicated very quickly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, in some of the other um, episodes we talk about, you know, bidirectional, right? That, that, you know, it used to be it came from one central source and flowed to the building. Right. Uh, but now there are situations where... There's solar on the building. There's yep. storage on the building. Or there might be backup generation of another form on, you know, tied to the building. Right. And, you know, you guys look at it from a safety perspective, I mean, from a reliability perspective, but also a safety perspective. That's correct. And just, you know, briefly, just, you know, the, you, know you, you mentioned before you re-energize anything, you know, you look for the fault. But just, you know, just, just a sentence or two in terms of the importance of safety for the customers and safety for the network and safety for the line crews and everybody else involved. Just, you know, how do we think about safety at RMLB? Big yeah, picture. Yeah, we, we think of safety, you know, tremendously because, you know, it's personnel that you're dealing with and your families. So um, normally if, you know, um, anything happened on the system, for instance, you talk about the solar, you know, and yeah. residentials, you know. Those, you know, if you have a solar device on and the power is out, those are typically automatically turned off. Mm -hmm. But if for some reason that device is not turned off and it's feeding back into the grid where the guys, just like our transformer step downs from high voltage to low voltage, you have a solar device that comes in, it will take that low voltage and create high voltage on the other side. Right. Good. And if right. the guys are working on the line right here, they need to be protected. So that's why Electricity those, can be dangerous. Right. That's right. So that's why sometimes we require those disconnects just so we can isolate. Yeah. Or the fire department requires them. You know, uh, right. And, 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 you know, we are part of, right, so we're the electric utility, but we work very closely with the fire department. We're very closely with the police department, right? Um, and, and, you know, in storm situations with the DPW departments in all four towns that we support, right, Wilmington right. And, yep. and North Reading and Reading and, and Linfield Center. So it's, that's important. So kind of thinking about that, those outages and storm responses, you know, you, know, you and the, the engineering team have a critical role in that. So just talk a little bit about, you know, when we do have outages or when we, when we are responding to a storm, like what you know? What's your role as engineers in the whole process? I know you guys are critical, but our viewers, our you know, people listening to this podcast don't know. So talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, like in a storm situation, outage situation, you um, usually have you know at least a couple of engineers. You also usually have an engineer um, inside the control center. Yeah, and you have an engineer in the field. Engineer in the field will review or oversee what's going on physically in the field that you can see. The engineer in the control center usually have a larger scale map, and they can um, identify, switch, rearrange stuff. Long will coordinate that with the engineer in the field, yeah. because a lot of times these are quick decisions that you have to be making. You know, having two people there kind of yeah. like and the quick decisions because we're trying to back to Julie's point. We want to re restore. We want to restore quickly, you know, but we, safely. Yeah. We want to minimize outages, but when right. they happen, right, particularly during storms, right, we want to be as fast as we possibly can. That's correct. 
And it sounds like what you're mentioning is, you know, the, there's the, the field. So we have the line crews in the field, right? They're up in the buckets, right? They're doing the hands-on work. But, you know, the engineers, you, know, you guys design the network, right? I mean, right. You, have, you have additional support, et cetera, but you guys know the network intimately well. Right? Yeah. So at that point when the, the line crews are, you know, there's an issue, we yeah. will try to, um, you know, switch the load around yep. so we can keep people on as much as we can. To minimize the, the the amount of the outage, kind of shrink it down to an isolated isolated location, um, tag it out, and uh, line crews can go to work. So you know, so that's in the the actual restoration phase, right? And so the whoever's in the control room, um, whatever the engineering is in the control room with whoever's because we you mentioned before, right? We staff twenty four seven. Yep. Twenty four seven. Yep. Three sixty five. That's correct. Always somebody in there. Yep. Um, and, you know, part of that is, you know, coordinating the information, where's the outage, how big is the outage, you know, dispatching the crews, et cetera. That's part of the role of the control room. But you guys are also looking at, okay, so we've got an outage somewhere. How do you isolate, you know, how do you, how do you minimize the number of customers that, are, right. that have the outage? Yep. And, then, and then as you isolate it, fix that issue. Yep. But it also sounds, Vaughn, like, you know, part of that thought process is you guys are designing the network for that fast response, for that ability to isolate. So, because, you know. Right. So that's where some of your more modern stuff come into play. Yeah. So some of the new, some of the new design work you guys right. are doing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the things that we are looking at is like some of the distribution automators, automators. Yeah. Um, good. Yeah, go ahead. Like um, we have certain part of the systems that will automatically transfer and yep. isolate. You know, that, kind of narrows down for the engineer where the issue is. Because you have a mainline circuit that's going from a substation all the way over to to um, right into yeah. to Wilmington. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So good. Yep. Um, that's a vast area right there. So that line, if there's an issue in it, that whole entire line can come out, can get de-energized. Uh, but with the system now, you could automatically transfer it onto another station. And isolate only the piece that has the problem. So the engineers know exactly where the, what areas the issues are between, um, which also helps with the line crew response because instead of riding out a feeder from Reading to Wilmington, you, you know right exactly where, where in Wilmington, which two points there between. Respect to Julie's question is part of the reason why we are so quick on our responses. Right? We try and avoid the outages to begin with, but our restoration is quick. And it sounds like the other, you know, you kind of mentioned – there's there's more automation in the system, and it's important that that ties all back to the control center, so that whether the control room operator who's always there, who you know whoever's on that particular shift, and you know you guys from the engineering perspective, you know what's going on, right? And then the engineers in the field, you know whoever the counterpart is, depending yep. upon the size of the outage and the size of the storm, et cetera, you know they're they're looking at and 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 providing additional eyes in the field. Um, so it sounds like it's a team effort all the way around from an outage perspective. Yes, it is. So, um, you know, we talk a lot about transformers. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, just a couple more, you know, thoughts and questions here. But, um, you know, pad mount transformers, right? You know, those are more common in commercial and industrials or maybe feeding, um, you know, uh, what we call URDs, but the uh, uh, the new areas, the new residential, residential areas. Residential subdivisions. It's all, yeah, all underground type stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Just kind of talk about um, the role of those of those transformers, and then we'll talk about you know um, how we think about sizing them and choosing them, and and then we'll talk in a moment about uh, you know what we expect the customers to do or not to do. Oh, <laughs> right. 
So, anyways, talk about just you know, focus not on the overhead, but the the pad mounts and you know why we put them in and how we think about them, and then you know, what, what, you know how we maintain them. Yeah, for most most um, new residential subdivisions are going in on the underground. Yeah. You know, um, you rarely see one in the overhead. But if you think about it, you know, you're five or six houses down the street. If it's overhead, you know, one squirrel could take out the entire street. Um, but if it's underground, you know, it's less um, effects of getting um, outages. I mean, don't get me wrong, you still have outages. Yeah. You have squirrels in the overhead, you got snakes in the underground. Yeah. Um, but we do try to do like a, a maintenance program. You know, we yeah. inspect them every so year, every year. The, the underground, you know, you have a lot more protections against trees yeah. because it's underground. Definitely. So you have a lot less um, issues or outages with the underground. Um, and then we, our undergrounds are typically loop-fed. So say you, the problem with the underground is that if you lose something, then it's a longer time to repair. But with it being from a loop, we can isolate one area, keep everybody going and make our repairs as, need, as needed with the power still on. That goes back to how you design it to begin with. Exactly. Right? And, that, and, and as you mentioned earlier, some of the additional automation in the system. So, so it's good. You guys are constantly trying to figure out, you know, the core, the core mission of RMLD is reliable, low-cost, non-carbon energy. And, you know, it sounds like you guys, besides restoration, as Julie had mentioned, but, um, you know, we design the network for reliability up front. Um, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up in a moment here before we get to our customer question. Um, but, you know, the other, just talk a little bit, you know, we do, re, you mentioned routine maintenance, right? And so, you know, just how you think about routine maintenance and, you know, scheduled, you know, to minimize service disruptions and any scheduled outages, just a little bit of conversation in terms of how we think about that from a customer perspective and from a network reliability perspective. That's kind of, that's probably the last question that I'll ask you. So some of the maintenance, like, um, if we have to do maintenance and we try to do it while everything is energized. Yes. We try to do a lot of it while while it's energized. Now, to minimize any customer, you know, exactly. You, you want the customer to always have power. That's to the correct. Possible. Yes. Keep going. But at some point, you might need to take an outage. Um, what we typically do, like for our residential customers, we try to minimize the effects on them. So we try to take the outage somewhere between nine and one. And that and thought then, process is that people will be off to work and kids will be off to school. And, and it's by, daylight. Then it's daylight, and Typically. people will be back home. The kids will be home, you know, after 1 o'clock. Now, yep. we have run into some issues that with people working from home. Yep, yep. But, as again, we try to minimize. Yeah. For commercial customers, we try to minimize their downtime as well. You will coordinate with the customers. You know, maybe they're shut down on a Friday or a Monday or whatever. But for the most case, most commercial customers, they run 9 to 5. Yeah. So we'll typically take our outages if they have to. And we'll do those outages off hours. Yeah. So, and again, our goal is to minimize the impact on the customers and exactly. their business. Right? Yeah, that's right. And, and case, you yeah. typically give advance notice as right. well. Right. So, so, like, we'll give prepare. We'll give the regional customers. We'll notify them with either a pamphlet or a phone call, and those are usually three days ahead. So they'll be notified. Yvonne, thanks. This has been very, very helpful. Um, just you know, it, it's it's fascinating all the things that happen behind the scenes from an engineering perspective to design the network for reliability. And then, you know, things break, right? Yep. Um, trees fall on lines. That's our number one, you know, we call right. we call uh, animal, right? <laughs> I think internally we call them rodents. But anyways, <laughs> animal is, is another another piece. You know, the equipment actually is, is 
well maintained. So equipment failures is a low a low probability. But anyways, it, it was good to learn more about how you guys help us maintain the network. Hey, Julie, I'm going to throw it over to you for the, uh, uh, the customer question. Yes. This is a common question. So this was sent anonymously. So just a reminder, if you send us a question at podcast at rmld.com, we will ask it on the air. And we'd love for you to give your name so we can give you the proper shout out. So anonymous listener, thank you for the question. So winter is coming, as we know. So this question is about heat pumps and how they work in the winter. So the question is, Massachusetts experiences cold winters with sub-freezing temperatures, as that is a harsh reality indeed. How do heat pumps, especially air source heat pumps, perform effectively in such extreme winter conditions? And what considerations or adaptations are necessary to ensure their reliable operation and efficiency throughout the winter months in this region? That's a great question. A couple of things to keep in the background, right? There's the there's the drive toward electrification that was uh, established by the 2021 climate bill um, that applies to Massachusetts overall, including all of our customers in in the RMLD territory. And part of that electrification uh, ties to building. And uh, the focus there is to become more um, electric in terms of heating and cooling. Cooling um, is pretty straightforward. Uh, most cooling right now is done by air conditioners and heat pumps or another form of air conditioning. A heat pump basically is just moving heat from inside the building to outside the building or from outside the building inside the building in the case of winter months. So a heat pump is just that. It's just moving heat. Um, from one area to the other. And obviously when it's cold, there's less there's less heat outside. Um, but the, particularly the newer generations, the ones that are getting installed right now, these heat pumps are very efficient in terms of uh, pulling power, even when you get below zero degrees. Um, they're not as efficient um, at that temperature, um, but they still work and they still, they still go at low temperatures. That might not be the case five or 10 years ago, but it is the case now. And, you know, Julie also mentioned the question of, you know, what the customers can, what can they do now to make sure that their heat pumps are, are well-maintained? Some of the very basic stuff, you know, leaves are falling down uh, right now. And so um, what you want to make sure is that leaves aren't collecting around the base. Typically, they're elevated at least 18 inches off the ground or bolted to the side of the house. But just make sure leaves aren't, aren't uh, affecting the intakes, aren't piling up on them. Um, that's one key piece. And... Um, you know, the other one, depending upon how your program is, they heat pumps tend not to require a lot of maintenance like traditional oil or, or uh, natural gas systems. But, you know, your contractor can, you know, make recommendations in terms of things to do um, to make sure that those systems are, are well maintained. Again, the maintenance is much le- less than it is on a traditional heating system. Um, the other thing is, you know, we introduced a, um, a program, uh, weatherization program tied to heat pumps. And so, you know, um, Closing, you know, simple things, closing windows and, and closing your storm windows, um, uh, basic, you know, uh, making sure the doors don't leak, et cetera. Those are very basic things you can do as a homeowner. But uh, if you're doing an air source heat pump system, we also have, uh, and we're trying to, we're starting to expand it, but a weatherization program, which is primarily tied to insulation. So the best way to stay warm is to keep heat in the house. And don't they also operate more efficiently if they stay on one temperature? So you should yep, yep. Just... They, 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 like, they, they like not to cycle. So, you know, set it and forget it, right? If you like whatever, 68 degrees in the wintertime or 73 degrees in the summertime, but set it and forget it is typically the, the best way to run air source heat pumps. We do have, uh, um, you know, for those listening, we have several uh, sessions of our webinars where they can learn more about air source heat pumps. There's a lot, and not just from us, there's a, you know, there's a lot of good information on air source heat pumps. Um, they do work. 
um, and they work better in colder and colder air. And that's a that's a great question from one of our uh, one of our customers. So keep those questions coming. Super. So I'm going to wrap up. Uh, just you know, again, thank you, uh, Julie, for helping us pull this together each week. Vaughn, thank you for being our uh, our expert host, not expert host, but our expert guest today. And uh, you know, we just appreciate all the work that you and the other engineers do behind the scenes to make everything happen. Um, and you know, when they see the RMLD uh, trucks out there, uh, they know that uh, our goal is to keep their power on. They should beep and Thank say you. hello. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah we usually do, especially when the power is restored. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, thank you guys all very, very much again. Thank you.